Let's bow our heads to pray a moment and speak to him. Lord Jesus, thank you for your deep, deep love for us. It's beyond our comprehension. And what is sad, Lord, so often we miss it. We don't feel it. We don't get into it. And we just skate over the surface of our relationship to you. But, O Lord, that your Spirit would move amongst us here this morning, that we might echo back to you a deep, deep love and respect and honor that is due you. So please take my lips, Lord, and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our wills and bend them to your own. And to take our hearts, Lord Jesus, and set them on fire with love for yourself. We pray this for your namesake. Amen. Well, we're speaking uh, across the season of Lent on our Sunday mornings about prayer. Again, preparatory to the deep, deep things that we will go through across the Easter season. And prayer is really, essentially, talking to God. It's no more or less than a conversation from us to Him. And it's more than just words. You know, we're going to be teaching from the Lord's Prayer because when the disciples came to Jesus, because they watched Him pray, they heard Him pray. He taught about prayer. And they said, teach us to pray. And he said, well, when you pray, and he said a number of things, but here's what we are to do. Say, our Father. Now, that was the big lesson of last week. If you were here, you got it. Namely, that the first approach to God is of an intimate, personal relationship, like talking to a dad. Sometimes you hear us preaching people talk about Abba. Same name as the song group from Sweden, A-B-B-A. But that's the old word from the Hebrew for dad. And kids would call their dad Abba. That's like saying dad. It's personal, intimate, a real connection. What a piece of teaching that God, through his son Jesus, taught us to call him, in effect, dad. So we have a personal relationship out of which and through which we can have a conversation with him. We're not preaching to the skies. We're not giving God elocution lessons. We're talking to him. And you can come to him and simply talk to him. So we have prayers written out for us so that we can all join in them together. But prayer is much more real and personal when you're talking to God for yourself, from your own heart, from your own mouth, from your own thoughts and needs and expressions. It's just you and him then. Not pleasing anybody, not trying to impress anybody. You're never going to impress God. 
I mean, he is not looking for some hero to worship. But he is looking to have a relationship with you, out of which you can talk to him. So whether it's in driving your car, walking through a supermarket, sitting in a lecture at school, taking an exam, I prayed my heart out going into exams. I used to pray that God would teach me, let me rephrase that, have me learn the things I needed to know for whatever the exam was that was coming up, because you can never know it all. And I would turn over that exam paper, and I'd say, thank you, Jesus, because I'd run my eye down it, and he led me to learn the things I needed to get through my exams to become a minister. You could never know it all. All about the Old Testament, give me a break. All about the New Testament, who's going to get that right? And then to learn the Greek and the Hebrew, who's got that down pat? And that's just for starters. But to talk to him about it. I actually chatted with him in the middle of exams. That's unfair help. People accuse me of talking to God on the golf course. Say it's not fair. I don't often get a lot of help there, I must confess. But to talk to him, that's the deal. In fact, when I get a good shot off on the golf course, I didn't care who's around me. I say, thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Sometimes even, thank you, Jesus. And I do occasionally get a good shot, so I say it here and there, too. Anyway, we're coming now to that section where we're praying about God's kingdom and his will. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. The first part of the Lord's Prayer, get this, this is huge, is all about him. From calling him dad, to saying hallowed be thy name, that's with high regard and respect, as against taking his name in vain, degrading it, May it be hallowed, held sacred. Thy kingdom come. It's about his kingdom, not ours. Thy will be done. It's about what he wants, not what we're looking for. So the first opening series of requests or expressions is about the Lord himself. Now what often we're doing is coming to him with our laundry list of things that we want him to do for us. What we're going to consider right up front now is what he wants us to be praying about, and that is his agenda. You know how full of ourselves we are? How self-reflective we are? It often is in our lives all about us. Get off it. In fact, Rick Warren's book, we probably are going to be studying that this fall again, 40 Days of Purpose, but chapter 1... It's all about God. Purpose for our lives is not all about us. And what a twist that is. Unless you get it right with him, everything else is going to be off kelter. It's all about him. And this prayer teaches us that. To go to him, talk to him as an intimate father, honor him, and then get on his agenda. Often we're going to him to get him on our agenda. What a joke that is. We need to be on his agenda. That gets it right. 
Our agenda may be wrong. To get on his agenda, it sorts out a lot of stuff for us. Go to him first. I was reading just this week, it's a fantastic thought, that when you want to tune a whole bunch of pianos that are, say, in a showroom or in an exhibition, you tune them to a tuning fork. And when you tune them to the tuning fork, guess what? They all play together. There's harmony. No discord. When we come into God's presence and address him and look at him, it's like getting tuned. One of the great lines in our hymns is, tune my heart to sing your grace. You don't get that by looking at yourself. You don't get that by talking about yourself. You don't get that by dwelling on yourself, being self-absorbed. You get it by being God-absorbed. He tunes our hearts, tunes our minds, tunes our direction, gets us on his page. And when we're on his page, guess what? What kind of a church would that be? What kind of a family would our family be? What kind of a business would we be in? What would it be like to go to school and have, and or wherever else, have our hearts tuned to a single theme and truth and person in the Lord himself? Well, that's what this is about. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Now Jesus set the example. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. The first conversation you have about Jesus and Jesus speaking is when he was 12 years of age, had been taken up to Jerusalem for the Passover, Family left him behind, think he was traveling with other company back to Nazareth. A couple of days out, they think he's nowhere to be seen. They get back off that caravan and back down to Jerusalem. And where do they find Jesus? In the temple, chatting with the leadership, the religious leadership. Twelve-year-old boy. Listen, twelve-year-old kids aren't just a nuisance. They're not just hitting puberty and going nuts. God has a plan for 12-year-old kids to be significantly used by him at 12 years of age. You're not 12 years of age wishing you were 20 and now a man. If you're a kid here this morning, Jesus at 12, when his parents said, what are you up to? Do you not know we're worried about you? Do you remember what he said? I have to be about my father's business. Age 12, about his father's business. He was looking to his dad for leadership. He wanted to please his father in heaven. I had to be about my father's business. In John chapter 4, there's a remarkable scene where villagers are pouring out of a, 
a Samaritan village actually, not even Jewish, sort of an in-between Gentile and Jewish village, what they would have called half-caste. And the Jews despised the Samaritans, but Jesus, sitting there, having passed through this area of Samaria, was sitting by a well, a woman comes out, he gets into a conversation with her, she gets so excited about that conversation, she goes back to the village and says, come and meet a man who told me everything I ever did. Because they'd had a very serious conversation. And the village came out. Meanwhile, this is unbelievable, the disciples had gone to the same village, his up close, his real friends, had gone to the same village to get lunch. And when they came back, half the village was on its way out to meet Jesus. This lady who just met him brought the village back. They who'd hung out with Jesus went to get lunch and came back with lunch. And they said to Jesus, now he's got these people all around him, we've got something to eat. Stop teaching, start eating. Jesus said, I have food to eat that you don't know anything about. So then they start grumbling as somebody else fed him? Somebody else bring him food? You mean we went shopping for nothing? You can hear it in their tone. And then Jesus said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish it. To do the will of him who sent me. So in midstream, Jesus is still all about the Father's will. That's, that's, the purpose of his life had been set by his Father in heaven. And my food, that is, what I get sustenance from, what I get energy from, what gets me going and lights my fire, I'm putting other words to what he said, but you get it. If you are in tune with what God wants you to do, that is energizing. That sets your heart on fire just as we prayed. To do his will. Next chapter in John chapter 5. He said, I haven't come to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. The words I speak aren't my words. I'm telling you what the Father wants me to say. Jesus' life was driven by pleasing the Father and doing his will. So when he gets to the Garden of Gethsemane and he's confronted with the cross and he's bearing his heart to his Father and he's praying, sweating great drops of blood, I mean the intensity of it. Is there any way that this cup can pass from me? In other words, that I don't have to go through this and take on the sins of the world. Not just the physical suffering of crucifixion but the sum total of all the garbage and filth and wickedness of this world laid on him an innocent, pure, clean, wonderful son of God. But he then says what? Nevertheless, not my will, but yours. So here we are now saying, thy kingdom come. Your will be done in my life. You know, one of the things you can pray for people that you haven't any idea to pray for, in other words, you, it, their, their grief is so far beyond you, their problem's so complex, and it may be your own. 
that you haven't any which way to turn, you don't even know what to say to God, pray the Lord's Prayer over them. Our Father, be a father to them. May your name be hallowed in whatever they decide or whatever they do. Your kingdom come in their lives. Your will be done. You give them this day their daily bread, whatever it is they need. We'll get to that next week. But pray it over them. I don't know if you've ever done it. Pray it for yourself. Stop and think, Dad, it's great to be your child. And so on. To be on the Father's agenda. When you pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. That's what you're asking for. For yourself and for others, be on his agenda. Do you want to pray that for our government? For our educational system? Thy will be done. Thy kingdom come. Well, next thing I want us to talk about concerning his kingdom is this. That it is not territorial. Do you remember, I'm sure you do, when Jesus was in front of the Roman governor of Israel at that time, his name Pontius Pilate, and he was on trial for his life, Pilate said to him, are you a king? Because he'd been accused of that. And so Pilate, in judging him, wanted to ask him, are you a king? That's a powerful question. I'll tell you why. Because there was only one king, and that was Caesar. Caesar is from the German Kaiser. Kaiser is king. And Caesar was all-powerful and ruled with a rod of iron. And anybody who set themselves up, even small-time crooks and criminals or anybody else, little revolutionaries, take on the mighty name of the Roman Empire by saying, I'm king, not him. They were absolutely summarily executed. So when they accused Jesus of being king, those who were doing it wanted to get rid of him. In fact, they actually said, we have no king but Caesar when they were trying to get Jesus eradicated. But when Pilate said to him, are you a king? He said, yes, but my kingdom is not of this world. It was a different kingdom. It was a spiritual kingdom. How do you get into that kingdom? It's not territorial. Arriving in a church building doesn't get you in that kingdom. Joining a church, signing on to a church, belonging to a church, some of you are considering that for this church, doesn't get you into a kingdom. We are not the kingdom. Jesus is the king, and you get into his kingdom when you get him into your life. In fact, the apostle Paul put it this way, our citizenship is in heaven from whence we look for a savior. We change citizenship from the kind of territorial associations we have with being, here I am, born and raised in England. Most of you born and raised in America. Some of you claiming a, your Irish heritage. You've got your associations with being either Italian or Polish or whatever. But when you give yourself to Jesus and he comes into your life, You enter another 
realm. And your allegiance is no longer, first of all, to either your business or to your city or to your nation, but to him. Our citizenship is in heaven. So that citizenship transcends all the other citizenships. I changed my citizenship to become an American. And I had to disavow myself of any allegiance to other sovereign or power when I became an an American. And I pledged allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the commonwealth for which it stood, one nation under God, etc., But I'll tell you this, my allegiance to Jesus Christ transcends being an American. I'm thrilled to be an American, but I'm all the more thrilled to belong to Jesus. And it was because of my allegiance to Christ and what he was doing in my life here in the USA that I actually changed from being English to American that I might have a better entrance into leadership, not as a foreigner with a critical spirit, but as somebody who belongs, who can exercise leadership. Just like maybe some of you, you became American. Well, the only way you become a part of the kingdom of God with citizenship in heaven is through Jesus. Then you belong to him. Well, having said so, when you say, thy kingdom come, you pray that for somebody. What you're praying is, that's a great evangelistic prayer, that people might come to Jesus. We've got this big event coming up here in Pittsburgh soon, the end of August. There are people that you need to be praying for, praying that thy kingdom come in their lives. What are you praying for? That Jesus might come in and be king in their lives so that they enter into that kingdom. When you pray for them, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Guess what? Our Lord Jesus is not willing that any should perish, but that all come to repentance. When you're praying that kind of prayer, you're praying in line with, aligned with, his spirit and what he wants to do. You're on his agenda. So the last point is this. Last thing to say about the kingdom is this, that while that kingdom is not territorial, when you become a citizen of heaven, you have an impact with your life wherever it is you live and work. The way God's kingdom is going to come in the United States of America is not through politics. It's going to be through the preaching of the gospel and people coming to know Jesus Christ. What else has the power to change them? Political realignment doesn't do that. It's not about Republican and Democrat. They're both screwed up. Do you know why? Because they're all sinners. You want a perfect president? Get Jesus. How perfect are you? What kind of a citizen are you? Therein lies the problem. We're a part of the problem. But when you get Christ in your life, irrespective of whatever weakness or fallibility you have, he can use you. 
When Jesus came into my life at age 18, I knew my life was going to be of consequence because I had him in my life. So while his kingdom is not territorial, it impacts the world wherever we have. Isn't it interesting that Pastor Ed Glover has that ministry, Urban Impact Foundation, to have an impact in Pittsburgh. What brought me to Pittsburgh? How do you think I ended up here? People ask me, how did you get here? In fact, in the old days, when there was smoke and steel everywhere, they said, why did you come here? In fact, somebody actually said to me, it's the one city in the USA where you can open your bedroom window on a spring morning and hear the birds coughing. (laughs) But God drew me here for a vision that Pittsburgh might become as famous for God as it was for steel. My wife and I have been over 40 years in this town now on that mission. We are not here to play. I keep saying this. Will you get this? I'm going to get you to say it after me. We are not playing church on a street corner. Have you got the guts to say that? You say that with me. We are not playing church on a street corner. We come to church to get stoked. Not soaked. Stoked. For what purpose? Just smile. I say a guy smiling over here. Get soaked means somebody keeps taking off of you. To get stoked so we can go serve God. Wherever we work, go to school, play, live, our family. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. That's the prayer. To have an impact where we are. Jesus gave so much talk and teaching about that. Go into all the world... Preach the gospel, make disciples of all nations. That's his mission. Are you on mission? That's the deal. He says, you're like a city set on a hill. You can't be hid. How overt is your Christianity? You're a light. Not to be put under a bushel basket or measure and hidden, but to give light to the whole room. You're the salt of the earth. What kind of teaching is that? It's that we are to have an impact, and that's not just us by ourselves. When Christ is in you, and you belong to him, and he is Lord in your life, and he has now you in his kingdom, and you're on his agenda, how can you be insignificant? You can't. And he is here. And he knows where you are in that scheme of things. He knows whether you've asked him into your life, whether you've given it all to him, whether you're playing church, or whether he's your king and you're on his agenda. C.S. Lewis, I close with this single line. C.S. Lewis said, often you hear people say they are so heavenly-minded speaking of Christians, that they are of no earthly use. He turned that around and said, they are so earthly-minded, they're of no heavenly use. How useful are you? What's your agenda? I know what mine is. That's why I'm here. Let's pray.
Well, Lord Jesus, we've had a conversation about you and your teaching about prayer. Forgive us, Lord, that we are so self-consumed that all we ever do is talk about ourselves when we're with you. Forgive us, Lord. Turn us around. Help us to see you, by faith to see you, and in seeing you, respond to you. Thank you, Lord. Do that for each of us right now. So take over our lives that it is clear for us as well as everyone around us that we belong to you and we are citizens of your kingdom. Now I'm going to ask that we pray the Lord's Prayer together. Pray it in the measure, that is the cadence that I set, so that we don't just run through it and say words. Let us take those words and the ideas that they convey, the truths that we're speaking, and from our hearts speak them back to God. So together we say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.